Thank you, Jesus. Well, it is an incredible privilege to be with you here tonight. Uh, I want to give tremendous honor to our bishop. Don't we love the bishop? Amen. Thank you, Brother Powell, for letting me be with you again. You're always so incredible, incredible and kind and just love you guys and the church here. All the pastors and ministers that have uh, made your way out here tonight. I know you have your own cities, your own thing going, and you took time out of your schedule for being here. Thank you for doing so. Uh, I will try and do my best to be brief uh, and just deliver what I feel like God has laid on my heart. I'm going to turn to the book of Galatians chapter 6 and verse 5. Uh, just by virtue of introduction, uh, like he said, I'm an evangelist with the United Pentecostal Church. Um, in a past life, not that distant ago, I had a career, a secular career in medicine, and so I've, I've worked in healthcare for a really long time, have a whole bunch of degrees. Really, my, one of my passions in life was just getting student loans and I've done a very good job at getting as many as possible and uh, still working on that. Amen. But tonight I want to speak to you on the subject aligned with the purpose of this. Uh, I want to speak to you on the subject of what's your burden. Would you turn to somebody next to you and ask them that question, what's your burden? And uh, I think at a superficial level we could give a knee-jerk answer if we had to to that, but I hope that Somewhere between what we would say publicly and what is the truth in private, the two will become aligned tonight. I want to have a burden, amen? Is that okay? Galatians 6 and 5 says, For every man shall bear his own burden. God wants you to have a burden. Every man, woman, and child to have a burden. Amen. If you put your Bibles down and lift your hands to the Lord tonight, Jesus, we love you and we lift you up. I thank you, God, for what you're doing in this place in each and every heart and life. I thank you, God, for this great and incredible district and the revival that you want to bring. I pray that for the next few minutes you would anoint us both to speak and to receive. Let your kingdom come and your will be done tonight. Help me get out of the way and I I pray that the Holy Ghost would sweep in here and that your perfect will would be accomplished in Jesus' mighty name we pray and everybody say amen. Come on, let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise tonight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Amen, and you may be seated tonight. I'm going to have you turn, if you would, in your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 32, and I'm going to endeavor to cover a very short but a very difficult passage of Scripture. This is Exodus chapter 32, verses 31 and 32. Uh, so in the book of Exodus chapter uh, 32, here starting in verse 31, it is very easy to pick up on the context. We don't have to read a lot into the backstory, but this is what it says. It says, And Moses returned unto the Lord, and he said, Oh, this people have sinned a great sin and have made them God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which you have written. Again, I'm going to read it to you. Moses returned unto the Lord, and he said that your people have sinned a great sin, and they have made gods of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive them, and if not, blot me, I pray thee, 
out of thy book which you have written. This is a very unusual and a very difficult passage of Scripture. We do not have a lot of texts like these. We do not have a lot of preachers that prayed like this. We do not have a lot of Peters that made statements like this. Simons, come on, that made statements. Saul's, anybody. Come on, this is unique in the Word of God. Let me break it down as I read it. This is a monumental period for Moses. He walked into a situation that was beyond him and the people had fell yet again. He looked out over his field and his calling and this was not what he wanted to see. They were lost from the most elect down to the youngest, the men and the women, the marriages, all of it broken and fallen into idolatry. So he addresses his God, the one that called him and placed him as their leader. And I can picture it and hear it as he delivers the prayer. His voice is broken. His eyes are tear-filled as he delivers a desperate plea to the Almighty. The people, his people, have fallen into sin and he asks God for mercy. He offers what is a simple plea to the Lord. If you will forgive their sin. It was a prayer that they should have prayed themselves. The people should have looked at when Moses walked onto the scene. They should have woken up out of their sinful condition. Looked around at what their hands had done. They should have fell on their own faces and on their own knees before God. Yet Moses is the one that takes it to the Almighty God. If you will forgive their sin but suddenly even as he says the words he is unable to finish the sentence and if you read it carefully Moses interrupts himself with a burst of uncontrollable emotion and he says if you will forgive their sin and if not blot me out of thy book it is a request uh, beyond just mercy I don't know if to him mercy seemed too redundant or not serious enough but what is he to do to beg God to move on his behalf I don't know if you haven't realized but there's not a lot of things that you can give God that he doesn't already own God's tender is not the tender of this world he can't give God money to make God move so he draws on the only thing that exists in the eternal which is his own soul and he says God if you will move for no other reason this is my token of seriousness if nothing else would move you I offer myself I offer my soul my own security save your people it is theologic absurdity there is no other prayer 
that you're going to read like that. I have no idea where Moses got such an audacious request. But at the same time, that theologically it makes no sense and God would never honor it. It is probably the greatest personification of leadership and compassion in the entire Old Testament. Because Moses was saying, I have a burden, a burden, a burden, a burden to save this nation, a burden for the people you gave me, an irrational, irrefutable, illogical burden. Burden is, in this essence, an overwhelming responsibility to a higher purpose. It is a divinely called obligation to a kingdom cause. It is a desperation for God and for the lost to be saved. And it will be satisfied with nothing less. When Moses approaches God, he could have offered excuses. But a burden will run right past excuses. You see, his burden drove him to humility and to ownership. Whatever I can do, whatever is in my power, God. I just want to see my people saved. To Moses, people are not just a number. He has led them. He has taught them. How many, how many of those children have sat on his knee? How many times has he corrected them? How many times has he been called on to bless their babies? How many times has he evaluated their sick? Has he counseled them through their disputes? No, my friend, it was not about the numbers. He loved them. He was called to them. He was fighting to save them. And so he is so moved to guard the glory of God among men and the place of God in their lives that he is willing to lose his own eternal hope if that is what is necessary to save them. You see, a burden is beyond having just good church. A burden is beyond goosebumps. A burden is beyond nostalgia. It is beyond good music. It is beyond a cute sermon. It is beyond fancy lights and fog machines. A burden is beyond positions. Friend, we are called to reach the lost. God wants to give you a burden for something bigger than yourself. We don't fight for self-preservation. We don't fight for comfort and regard. Friend, we fight for the people. Look at Romans 9 and verse 1. Moses wasn't the only one. Somebody say Paul. Look at how he writes in Romans 9 and 1. I say the truth in Christ and I lie not. My conscience is bearing me witness. He like puts several disclaimers on the statement that's coming. So you would know this is not an exaggeration. This is not lie. This is not deceit. This is not for his own glory. He's like buckle up. You're about to hear something. I tell you the truth, I lie not, my conscience is my witness. Three times, so you'll catch this. That I have great heaviness and continual sorrow 
in my heart for I could wish that myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul says, I'm telling you, if I could give it all that you might be saved, I would give it. If it cost me my own salvation, I would wager it, friend. I'm telling you, you can catch a burden you can catch a burden that is bigger than you you can affect things beyond you you can reach people beyond you God called Paul to one day reach a population that nobody else would reach and an accepted call is a burden that will burn within you until it is fulfilled in Acts 19 and 21 the Bible says after these things were ended Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem saying after I have been there I must go and see Rome I must go also see Rome Paul had something in his spirit a burden in his spirit I may need to go to Jerusalem I may need to go here and there but at the end of the day God has called me to go to Rome I don't care how long it takes to get there I will go to Rome come on somebody has to go to Rome somebody's got to preach where it's never been preached somebody's got to go to the ones nobody's ever went to before friend let me ask you what is your burden there may be enough in Jerusalem they don't need you but Rome does Rome does is there something burning in you that will not stop until you get to every last one in your city He elaborates on it in Romans 1 and 10. He's giving this dialogue of what goes on inside of him. Making request. If by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. In Romans 15 and 20. Yea, so I have strived to preach the gospel not where Christ was named. Lest I would build upon another man's foundation. He says, I'm going to go. I'm going to go. I don't care what it costs. I don't care what I have to do I'm going to go to Rome and I'm going to reach somebody friend there is a Rome in my spirit I'm telling you I don't care the cost I don't care the hours I don't care the labor I don't care the energy we have got to reach the people God designed us to reach I have an unsettling insatiable burden to reach the world and I once preached on what is you're Rome. And uh, the reason is because from when he made the statement identifying his calling to Rome to when he could actually get boots on the ground and start preaching, you have no idea what that dude had to go through. I'm telling you, shipwrecks and snake bites. I'm telling you, imprisonment and jail cells. But not going wasn't an option because the burden inside of you will eat you up alive until you reach the one you were designed to reach. Finally, he makes it to Rome. And when he gets there, he's still on house arrest. But by Acts 28 and 30, he finally begins preaching the 
of Acts, we have the book of Romans. Friend, what is your Rome? What is the city, the area, the family, the ministry that God gave you a burden for? Acts 23 and 11. I love how God said it to him. The night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Now, Paul, been through some stuff up to this point. And the Lord said to him, Be a good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified of me in Jerusalem, and so must. Not, not maybe, not you could, not you might. Must you bear witness also at Rome. There are some people that the Holy Ghost would look at you and say, You might not think you're good enough, but you must. You might not think you're educated enough but you must you might not think you have enough you're good enough you're qualified enough but you must the Holy Ghost in you is fighting to break out and win people you never thought could be won God wants to reach the addicts through you the broken marriages through you the rich through you the poor through you the white through you the black through you the Spanish through you the English through you you must bear witness do not give up on that burden God gave you do not back down fight for every last soul that you can I wonder you know I, I, this, is a, this is a common question we use in interviewing uh, everybody lies in interviews, so you have to ask them sneaky questions. Said, if I were to call your last employer and ask them to describe you, what would they say? That's the tricky way to say, tell me the truth. Hey, if I were to ask those closest to you to describe the measure and the depth of your burden, what would they say? What would they say? Would they say this is somebody that is totally occupied and transfixed by a mission? Would they say this is somebody that I can hardly peel off of the carpet when they pray? Is this somebody that fills every waking hour with the kingdom of God? Knocking doors, preaching Bible study. Come on, somebody. Would they say that they are given to a burden? Acts 17 and 6, we preach all the time. It's a statement made, these that have turned the world upside down. And I love that phrase. I want to be somebody that turns the world upside down. Turning the world upside down, though, isn't about how I dress. It's not about my hair. It's not about how many times a day I shave. None of that business, friend. If you read Acts 17 and 6, it is literally contextualized within imprisonment in the verse. And an uprising against the church. That will test your burden. That will test your fortitude. Come on, somebody. If you want to be apostolic, if you want to turn this world upside down, it will take people of unwavering burden. It will take people of unwavering burden. We need to be acquainted with this weightiness 
of the gospel and compassion for the lost. I have got to be passionate enough to pray. I have got to be moved enough that I move. I have got to be scared enough to sacrifice. I've got to be worried enough that I'll roll my sleeves up and I will work. Friend, if I have got a burden, you ought to be able to see it and discern it and feel it. My checkbook should reflect my burden. My calendar should reflect my burden. My prayer time should reflect my burden. My Bible reading should reflect my burden. It has got to get in me and define me. Man, there has been so much talk lately about work-life balance. And I think that is so important. I have done uh, sessions and podcasts and whatever on work-life balance. But I want you to hear me. You will certainly burn out without a burden. I'm not saying you don't need balance. But I'm saying the balance is broken without burden. This is not just a job. It's not just a position. It's not just some part-time affair. It's not just something I do when I feel like it. It's not something I need another message to get me hyped up about. I have to be given to a higher purpose and a higher ambition. There is more to me than meets the eye. Friend, I am enrolled in his service. I am given to his cause. I want to be on his front line and I want to see the kingdom of God grow. You see, ambition and goals and purpose will fuel you to something why not to the kingdom of God I was thinking about this and ambition has fueled so many men to great exploits every time I say men it is inclusive of both genders but come on now just cut me a little slack mankind so consider the lawyer consider the dentist consider the doctor consider the business owner Consider the CEO, consider the Elon Musk, consider the Bill Gates. Come on, pick your person. Those that have achieved so much in this world did so at quite a cost. If you read their stories, if you listen to their schooling, their education, there's probably not a one of them that were not given for years and years and years to sleepless nights, to missed birthday parties, to missed anniversaries. There is not a one of them that didn't forego what was comfortable and easy and sacrifice that they might obtain something beyond themselves and bigger than what they had why cannot the church of God have an ambition for the souls of men and touching the presence of the king of kings come on I am telling you that anything that is necessary to obtain him and to obtain revival would be worth it I can afford some sleepless nights for God I can afford some more energy expended for God I can give him more I can push deeper. I can go higher because I'm driven by a burden. I cannot live my life purely for me. I know that we have to have jobs and we have to go through uh, the things of this world for we are in it. But at the end of the day, 
It cannot just be the nine to five. It cannot just be positions and stages and eloquent sermons. I have got to make an eternal difference in my city. For I cannot take the bank account. I cannot take the car. I cannot take the house. I can't take my retirement plan. I can't take the building. I can't take the lights. I can't take the worship team. I can't take the music. But I can take the souls. I can take the souls I have a burden for what is eternally valuable I want the souls I want the souls every last one of them the deepest dimension of leadership seen here in Moses isn't my elevation to stages or to popularity but is arriving at burden because burden will elevate them them, them. I talk to so many people, young people, and they'll, for some reason, they'll let me uh, say stuff to their hyphen and their youth. It's just unwise. But they'll, they'll do that periodically. And I'll ask the room, I'll say, what do you guys want to do for the kingdom? And man, I, I'm, I, know, I know what they mean. It's not a bad thing, but it still just things misfire inside of me when I hear it somebody will say I just want to be on the praise team and friend don't get me wrong we need you on the praise team if you're not on the praise team get on the praise team that should be part of the portfolio of goals but the highest come on the highest form of leadership of calling is to reach somebody else the great commission was not for more on the praise team it was for labors in the field God wants you to reach somebody else God wants you to reach somebody else I can't just want a mic I need to want a soul I can't just want a stage I need to want to baptize somebody I can't just want a conference I can't just want a position I need to want somebody prayed through to the gift of the Holy Ghost It cannot be about us It is about Him and who we can bring to him. When you have a burden, you cannot sleep knowing that your city is going to hell. You can't reconcile the unknocked doors, the untaught Bible studies, the unreached living rooms, the bars that are full, the casinos with business. I'm sorry, friend. It is my job to take back every door, teach every Bible study, make it to all those sitting in those bars, to go to every jail, to make a presence in every living room. And I do not and will not stop until I've made a dent in what the enemy thought that he owned burden stops for the woman at the well burden ignores the crowd for the two blind sitting on the wayside burden heads to the pool for the forgotten guy that missed this miracle for 38 years burden teaches a bible study for an Ethiopian in a chariot burden knocks on a Roman soldier's home named Cornelius burden door knocks a Saul and prays the scales off his eyes until he's a Paul burden will street preach through Ephesus until they find disciples that aren't born again dunk them in Jesus name and pray them through to the gift of the Holy Ghost we must have burden alright I, I had moved um, a few times over my childhood and so I never actually took history and so you're going to have to forgive me I'm going to have to read this next part okay 
Uh, but I literally, like, I, I moved to live in Canada. I left the U.S. right before they taught U.S. history. I arrived to Canada right after they taught Canadian history. Somehow I dodged history my whole life. But man, I read this story and it messed me up. So here we go. Governor Woodrow Wilson was running against Teddy Roosevelt. And I know Roosevelt was a president. I know that much. But that's about it. Roosevelt evidently at this junction did not expect to win the general election. As his opponent, Wilson, had gained significant swing voters and popularity. Roosevelt was still campaigning vigorously, and the election narrowed into a two-person contest between Wilson and Roosevelt. The campaign was reaching a close, and Roosevelt felt to be losing as he approached his final event. In October 14, 1912, when Roosevelt was heading to a campaign event in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, he was getting into an open-air car outside of his hotel, and he waved his hat at the crowd. Just then, in the darkness, there was a light from a flash of a 38 Colt revolver, and Roosevelt was shot at point-blank range. One of his aides grappled with the assassin, prevented him from firing another shot, before the crowd joined in, Roosevelt demanded that that shooter be left unharmed and just given over to the law. But Roosevelt was hit. The bullet was still in his chest at the level of the fourth rib, which is an ideal trajectory for the heart. I knew that part. But Roosevelt assessed his injuries. And he concluded, this is him, I don't recommend this, but he concluded that since he was not coughing blood, the bullet was not in his lung. And so he declined the suggestions to go to the hospital. And instead, knowing that he was in a losing position in the presidential race with fleeting moments left, he instead made his way to the podium at the Milwaukee Auditorium where he was planned to speak. He opened with the statement friends I shall ask you to be as quiet as possible he said I do not know whether you fully understand that I have been shot that horrified audience would gasp as he unbuttoned his vest and he revealed a blood-stained shirt beneath his vest that day he pulled out a 50 page speech from his coat pocket that had been pierced with the bullet and he said fortunately I had my manuscript and I was going to make a long speech and this is where the bullet went through possibly saving me from going into my heart but that bullet is in me now and so I cannot speak for very long to you but I will try my best he then added it takes more than that to kill a bull moose in comparison to the presidency and the country he added I give you my word that I do not care a rap about being shot not a rap and he went ahead and delivered a full 90 minute fiery speech I saw the glasses case in his pocket that the bullet went through I saw the pierced clothing on display impaled and blood stained I saw the x-ray with the bullet retained in his chest yet that man took a bullet and walked right back up to his pulpit if one man can so narrowly evade death am 
can be so transfixed by his pulpit and his cause. Why can't we be so burdened with ours? Make no mistake, we will be characterized by some ambition. They will tell stories of you at your funeral that you were given to your job. You were given to money. You were given to family. You were given to comfort. You were given a vacation. You were given to photography. But some of us, they will say, they were given to the pursuit of the souls of men. One wrote, if sinners will be damned, let it at least be that they have to leap to hell over our bodies. And if they will perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled with the teeth of our exertions. And let not one go there unwarned and unprayed for. I'm telling you, there is value to a burden now, I'll tell you what I believe and I think we have seen over the last few weeks this is literally the greatest hour of the church this is a literally the greatest hour of the church. Some of you have already felt these ebbs and flows of the spirit that you could not have conjured up if you wanted to. What God is doing right now around the nation, it is not hype. It is not a bandwagon. But I'm telling you, revival is in our midst. The spirit of the Lord is literally bringing breakthrough, popping up in college campuses, in churches, in Bible studies. Come on, in midweek services I'm telling you right now something is in your city and it is breaking only we are the people that know how to touch God and do something with it I've been in evangelism based ministry for over 16 years I don't mean being an itinerant speaker I mean, I'm the guy that knocks the doors, teach the Bible study, go to the jail, have the block parties, give out free bikes. Man, I would dress up as a chicken and put a disco ball on my head if it would win one more person. And in over 16 years of evangelism-based ministry, I have never seen the effectiveness I have seen in the last 12 months. And don't get me wrong, I know where you are. I know it's not the Bible Belt, but neither is Seattle, neither is Portland, neither is Los Angeles, neither is Rhode Island, neither is, come on, I've seen it happen in every single city. I've seen it in the small church. I've seen it in the big church. I've seen, come on, I've seen it on in churches in their first month of being open. I've seen it in some of our oldest congregations. God is breaking out revival. Man, and we have seen miracles, signs, and wonders miracles signs and wonders I've been apostolic to the core and again in the last year I have seen more miracles than I've seen in 16 combined I was in a single service one single service and we had a blind man receive his sight we had three deaf people healed instantly we had another one healed of a paralysis we had somebody couldn't feel their legs their legs were 
were healed instantly. Multiple people had a vision in that. So one single service. Don't tell me we are not in the midst of the greatest revival and outpouring we have ever seen. It is now, it is now not unusual for us if we do even a measure of outreach to be outnumbered. Say that word, outnumbered by first-time guests on Sunday. I told churches, they said, some churches will say to me, well, bro, just give us a heads up. What's really going to happen on Sunday? And I'll say, if you want to know what's going to happen on Sunday, just watch Saturday. If I'm telling you, if you have a good proportion of your church out on outreach, you got 80% of your church out on outreach, you better buckle up and have your people bring every single towel that they have at the house because it's going to go down on Sunday. Hey, I've told that to churches that only had 10 people and we baptized six. 16 people in Jesus' name on Sunday. Man, we were in one church, and uh, we were in one church once upon a time, and uh, man, they probably had. I'm guessing 150 people and we went out and we did outreach I'm telling you there are hungry people in our cities and if we'll go God will bring increase so we went out and did outreach and we probably did it for just shy of a week we would go out in the evening and on Saturday we went out probably two three times on Saturday come Sunday that church 150 say 150 238 first time guests do you understand the multiplication problem that that created? We baptized 68 people in Jesus' name. I tell you right now, that altar team hated me. They had to play every song they knew like four times. It took over two and a half hours to baptize that many people. And the van drivers had to wait. And the Sunday school had to wait. Friend, I'm telling you, what God is trying to send you will near break you. You're going to need to revisit how you do baptism. You're going to need to revisit how you pray in these altars come on God doesn't want to give us 1% growth 2% growth I'm talking exponential apostolic growth you stand together with me amen 38 minutes 9 seconds okay one last scripture, Exodus 32, verse 31, which is what we were reading from, except I'm going to read down to verse 34 this time. So Moses returned unto the Lord, and he said, These people have sinned a great sin, and they have made gods of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, he breaks in with his just bizarre remark. And if not, blot me, I pray thee, out of thy book which you have written. Let me show you how God responded, because this is probably theologically important and then there's something very hopeful to us here the Lord said unto Moses whoever have sinned against me him will I blot out of my book that theologic clarification needed to be made we don't have we cannot take somebody else's place there is a personal accountability here God everybody in our city 
has to come to their own revelation of this great God that came and died for them on the cross. Everybody in our city needs to repent and be baptized and let God fill them with the Spirit. That's why Jesus said in John 3 and 5, except you're born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. So I say that because it increases the ownership on us to get the gospel to every last one of them. And none of us can take their place. But, but, he's not done. He's not done. There's a second thing God tells him. Verse 34, therefore now go. Lead the people. Go. Lead the people unto the place where I've spoken unto thee. Behold, my angel shall go before thee. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit you, I will visit their sin. Listen, God says, no, 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 this is an individual thing, but he Here's where you fit in the equation. You are to go and you are to lead. I will go with you. My angels will go with you. You will be anointed. My word will be in you and delivered through you. Friends, you do have a role. You do have a purpose for the burden and God will reach a nation through you. Angels, effectiveness. You know, we read this Mark 16 mess all the time, and I love it. Man, these signs shall follow them that believe. And it gets all kinds of crazy after that, right? Man, we're going to be, and I mean all kinds of crazy. Stuff we're even kind of nervous to read is in that scripture. But man, we're going to lay hands on the sick. They're going to recover. How many want that in church? Man, they're going to speak with new tongues. How many want that in church? Man, if they drink anything deadly, it won't hurt them. Hey, I want protection up in my church. I'm telling you, there are some promises in Mark 16, but we just breeze through the context of the promises. Mark 16 and 15 or, or 16 or something is go and preach. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not will be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. I am convinced that the reason we have been so privileged to see so many miracles transpire this year is because I have never tried as hard to reach the lost as I have this last year. I I honestly believe by the end of this year we will have distributed over a quarter million flyers and when you do that kind of work yes you're on the front line and guess what happens on the front line blind eyes see deaf ears hear come on the empty are filled and speak in tongues they come up out of wheelchairs if you want a church with miracles signs and wonders you gotta do the context go and preach baptize 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 and watch what God will do I always wondered if, uh, man, I always wondered if, if some of these guys that told all that real super spooky stuff, if they just had something I didn't. And, uh, man, I don't know if they go on like 80-day fast, like water and food, and, and they just somehow stay alive and they're ascending to the eighth heavenly realm. And at that point, 
After they've seen the transfigured, physically manifested Christ, then miracles just follow them. Hey, I want to just give you the dumbest down version of my spirituality. If you're reaching the lost, you are literally beside Christ. And you're going to see Christ do what Christ does. Man, we've seen demons come up out of people. Not because we did anything spectacular. Not because we preached some weird message on demons. Just because we brought demon-possessed people. And Jesus is in the demon delivering business hey we've seen people heal why we brought sick people Christ is in the sick healing business we've seen people filled with the Holy Ghost not because of me not because of a cute message because Jesus is in the Holy Ghost filling business so we were we were in this one service and it was nothing spectacular man I was going to preach and teach on evangelism and reaching people and all of a sudden man the the Pastor felt to stop that service and he handed the, his, the microphone to his wife and she just began to prophesy over me and my wife. And she went saying all kinds of crazy stuff, man. And uh, it made me just downright uncomfortable, full of faith, but uncomfortable. And she said, man, she said, she said that the Andersons, as they travel, God is going to surround them with angels. Every place that they set foot, the angels of the Lord will go before them and be with them. And they will bring in harvest. I'm not saying this to puff me up. I'm a nothing and a nobody. God will do this in your city without me. Don't misunderstand me. But here's what I saw play out over the last year. We had three different times. Now, baby, my... My eyes just don't work like that but we had three different times people came up to us and said while you were standing there I saw manifested angels on either side of you hey and sometimes I don't even trust church people we were out on outreach one time in a parking lot of a Filipino grocery store and somebody lost broke down and said I as you were talking to somebody at their car I saw two giant figures standing Standing over and beside you. I said, yeah, I already know about them. Somebody grabbed my wife by the hand the other day and said, there are angels around about you. It's not me, friend. It's what's in the word of God, and he'll do it for you. I know that you think you're not good enough, but if you go, the angels go with you. And we were in this service. Last story, and then we're going to come and pray. And so if the musicians want to make me sound spiritual, thank you. So, man, we were in this service, and, 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 and I, I love this city, love this church, but I get so nervous every time I go because there are 800 people in the city. And, man, that makes me uncomfortable. I come from Seattle. Like, I need a million. If you give me a million people, somebody's coming to church. You give me 800, I start getting nervous. And, uh, man, the first time I went to that church... That, that I got there, and I said, how many flyers do you have? And he said, 40. And I didn't say anything because I was trying to be good. But he said, bro, I could tell that that was the wrong answer. And so I went home and printed some more. Now we had 200 flyers. So I'm still, trust me, not happy, but that's at least enough to get to, you know, 25% of your city. Hey, I'm going to tell you right now, 200 flyers, that will always make me nervous. That's not, that's not a lot. But you know what God did? We had 40 first-time guests with 200 flyers in a home missions church. 
Man, the next time we went back to that church, they said, what are we going to do? I said, man, well, let's print some flyers, at least 200, and uh, we're going to go out again. Man, we went out again, only there was a freak snowstorm, and I've still got that poor church drug outside in a freak snowstorm. Man, we had somebody open their door in a freak snowstorm. Now, this is probably just all of Nebraska during most of the winter, but this was very unusual for this part of the world. They opened the door. They didn't really want to even come outside to talk to us, so we prayed with them. Somebody in our group prayed them through, and they received the Holy Ghost standing in their door, snow on their front porch. So, man, they, we have a, a, a night revival service. And again, this is Home Missions Church. We have a night revival service. Snow on the ground. I'm like, bro, I, I'm kind of prepping him. I'm like, I know it doesn't snow a lot here, so trust me, my feelings aren't going to be hurt if our turnout's not great, but I'm still going to just go for it if that's cool. But man, they started coming. They started coming because we had planted. And when you plant, God can bring an increase. So they start filing in. Man, we get in there and I talk to them. I'm saying, hey, I always ask this question, but I just want to be clear. We got robes and towels, right? He's like, nah, man, we don't. I'm like, bro, man, you could have brought some clothes from home or something. And I'm like, you, all right, whatever, we'll try. And I said from that pulpit, I said, if there's anybody in this place that would like to be baptized in Jesus' name, I know it's snowy outside and we don't have a change of clothes and you, you guys got snow on your car, but God will wash away every sin you've ever committed. One hand, another hand, another hand. I'm telling you, in the middle of a snowstorm, knowing they're going to get back in cars covered in snow, they started making a line. It got so crazy up in that home missions church, I turned around. One of the young ladies was up there baptizing somebody. And then, watch this, watch this. I also said, if anybody wants special prayer, just come on up. Man, this guy in a wheelchair who could, he had been paralyzed for years. He could only twitch his one hand enough to move the joystick, wheels himself up to the front. And as he did, man, his feet fell off the pegs. And uh, if you've ever worked in healthcare, that's all kinds of annoying when their feet falls off the pegs because then, you know, you're like driving over their legs and shoes are falling. So I'm like, man, I'm going to clean that up. I bent down to put his foot back on the pegs. And we're talking, he's been disabled so long as I grabbed his ankle to put his foot back on the pegs, my fingers just collapsed into his ankle. No muscles, no ligament, total atrophy, total paralytic. And I put him back together up there and I said, okay, I want the church to come and pray. I didn't want to touch him. I want them to see what they could do. I said, I want the church to come and pray. Two young guys got on either side of him and said, I heard him and said, in Jesus name be healed. And then that guy said, I, I heard him. He said, I I want to stand. Then they started backpedaling. They're like, oh, uh, uh, uh. No, he's like, I feel that God just did something in my legs. I want to stand. They kicked back. They kicked back those leg pegs that I just rearranged. And they let that guy stand up on his feet. And he took off, with them helping balance, he took off across the front of that whole altar by himself. 
I took a picture. I didn't want to violate his privacy or nothing, but I took a picture of that empty wheelchair. It changed me. I look over and those guys that were praying with him, man, they were just lumps on the ground, weeping and overcome by what they had just seen God do. His caregiver was there, and she immediately threw her hands in the air, and tears went running down her face. She got the Holy Ghost and then ran up front to get baptized. She said, you don't understand. I've been with him for years. He can't change his pants. He can't move. And I just saw him stand up on his own. Man, we're nothing special. But God is. And I'm telling you, we are in the greatest season of revival. And I will settle for nothing less than to see the lost impacted by the name of Jesus. I don't want fame. I don't want money. I don't want prestige. I don't want power. I don't want notability or credibility. I want Him. I want His glory. And I want to bring all that I can to Him. Is there anybody in this place with a burden? Would you come? Would you step out of where you're seated? And would you let God begin to use you and stir you and move on you come on somebody step out step out we have got to get out of our rut we have got to get out of our tradition he made us for more we're capable of higher